This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Banks St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Father God, we just thank you now um, for Steve, who's going to come and share with us. Thank you for the word that he has prepared. And uh, Lord, I pray that it would just hit our hearts and minds and just challenge us and encourage us. May we encounter you through your word today. Uh, Lord, we pray for the, for the church in Jersey today. Lord, we just pray that you would bless them and anoint them also. In your mighty name, amen. Anyway, big talk about Muppets. I just want to introduce Steve. Uh, no, I'm only joking. Four things about Steve. Number one, he's from Jersey, pastors the Elam Church in Jersey. So, okay, remind that, okay, just to build up. Secondly, he's Welsh. Yeah, you've got one supporter, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Thirdly, he supports Tottenham Osper. Sorry about that guy. The fourth thing, actually, he's the only, and he, he denies this, but I think it's, I, in my mind, it was true. He's the only Bible student I remember who was sent off during a college football match. Now, you've denied that, haven't you? But uh, as I remember, it's the way it happened. But really well, one well, so it's really great to have you with us, Steve. So let's welcome. You enjoyed that introduction, yeah. I, I, just want, I just want to share I, what I believe is God's heart for you. Uh, this morning. So, will you come with me to a very tall lectern, isn't it? I'm going to stand on tiptoe to get into it. Don't, don't, you, don't you have things with dwarfs in this church? You're heightist. Okay. I, yeah, I've been called a Muppet sometimes. I've also been called a poison dwarf. And various other things I can't mention in church. Okay. Right, for uh, Isaiah 11, I'm sorry, for Isaiah 8 verse 11. For the Lord spoke this to me with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall follow, hallow. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. He will be as a sanctuary, but a strong, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both houses of Israel as a trap of the snare to the inhabitant of, Israel, of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob, and I will, put, I will hope in him. Here am I, and the children whom the Lord has given me, we are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. I'll stop there. I'm going to refer to uh, the end of the chapter a little bit later on. And as I was uh, preparing myself, and as I was, I was just reading, actually, uh, through the Scriptures, I felt the Lord say to me, it seems that some in the church here in Delancey, or 
even all the congregation, I don't know, you weigh this up. And uh, when someone comes with what they believe is a word from God, you have a responsibility not to just take it at face value, but you have a responsibility to ask God, what's he talking about? Is this from you or is it something that he's made up that's a load of baloney? And you, may, you decide at the end what is real and what is right for you, okay. Because I, I come with a burden. And I've been burdened for this church, I don't know why, for, for a number of years now. Um, I've only ever been here once before, and that was when Malcolm and Sandy got married, and I spoke at their wedding. So that was ten and a half years, ten and a half years ago. So that's the only time I've ever been to Delancey. But when, when John asked me to come, I suddenly felt a burden. I didn't know what the burden was. I didn't know how to deal with the burden. I didn't, I didn't know why I should have that burden. I'm a pastor of another church after all and I have my responsibilities. And so therefore, I couldn't understand what that burden was. And when John says, will you come and speak? I said, yes, I'll come. And uh, we, we've, been, we've known each other for years. Um, he tends to follow me wherever I go. And um, I'm going to be pastor in India next year. So, uh, so he'll end up in, in India as well. I didn't tell Angie that last night. But um, I'm only joking. <laughs> I went to India, my wife wouldn't come. <laughs> but uh, first of all, I want to say thank you to John and Angie for their friendship and their encouragement to me. Um, they've been a great source of encouragement to me over the years and for their hospitality in their home and, and for looking after me as well. And uh, I, I, I wanted to try and bring something that was of God. And it seems to me that God is saying in a, there's a circumstance that surrounds you that seems that there's a, a slight feeling of accusation, even that comes from outside, of inferiority about the church. We are not the church that other churches are. We are not the people that other people in other churches are. We, we are not like other churches because we're, we're not as big as them or we're not as good as them or, or we, we, we haven't got what they've got. And, and there's a, a kind of stigma that's been put on people's lives. And some of you actually sit in this congregation. In fact, there's a fella in, in, in this side here, and in your own life, you don't feel that you fit because you don't feel you're quite good enough. And you don't make the mark. Let me tell you something. God chooses and uses inferior people. If you knew me as a teenager growing up, you would not recognize the person I am today. I could not stand up in, in front of people and speak. God totally transforms and changes, yes, Muppets and inferior people and those who feel that they have nothing to give and nothing to offer, God will take them and use them. And I want to tell you this morning that God is saying to you, I believe, and you weigh it up, that you are not inferior, you are not less than anybody else, but he has great things in store for you. And what other people may think about you and what other people may say about you is not true. And even some of you, what you think about yourselves is not true. Because God never made a fool and God never made something that was imperfect and inferior. He's a perfect creator. And so in his image and in his power and in his might you are a people that God has chosen and God has set in this place for things in the future that he wants to achieve I'm starting with the positive okay because some of you have to deal with the way and it seems to be that God has, uh, has put in my spirit the way that you've been made to feel not because it's a natural thing for you but it seems as if 
issues from outside sort of point towards you and make you feel or suggest that you're not as good as them. Well, I want to tell you, you're God's treasure. You're his creation. You're his church. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so if you're the church of Jesus, and you are, you see, I sensed in the worship, even as I walked in earlier this morning, that God's in the house. God's not in the house if his people aren't for him. You see, you can come to church and not be church. You can come as a group, and very often churches are social clubs where God doesn't attend because he isn't given the right place. I sense in my spirit God is given the right place here. And because he's given the right place, he will come. He'll always come. But there's going to be coming a day when God will come and he'll hit you. And something's going to happen in this church, I believe, that is going to be absolutely life-transforming because of his presence. You see, when God comes, something really happens in the heavenly places. And so, I want you to leave this place this morning understanding that if you look at verses 13 to 15, as a church, you put God in the right place. And you give God the first place in your family life, in your church life, and in all the life of your fellowship, God will do something absolutely dramatic amongst you. I remember as a young pastor, I, I met my wife at Bible college actually. Uh, she went to train because she's a great children's worker. And uh, she went to train and learn and study for the ministry that she was already called in. And she was told by her pastor's wife, you're going to marry a pastor. And she said, I'm never going to marry a pastor. I don't want anything to do with pastoral ministry. I was a pastor's kid and I grew up saying I'll never be a pastor. Because I, what it, what it, I saw what happened to my dad. I'll be honest with you, people in church are cruel. Not this church, of course. I mean, I'm talking about other churches, not you. And I, I saw certain things that my, my parents went through, and I said, I don't want that for the rest of my life. I was selfish. I wanted a career. I joined the forces, and I thought, career, pension, everything's, everything's hunky-dory. Until one day I felt I was compromising my faith, and I made a mistake. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. What a stupid thing to say to God. <laughs> no? Because he'll hold you to your promises. And from that moment, he said, Stephen, I've got you. I'm going to call you. I'm sending you into, in, in, into the pastoral ministry. And it was the last thing in the world I wanted to do. But now, it's the only thing I want to do. Because God's hand was upon my life. He transformed me and changed me and set me forward. Took a, a stumbling, dribbling idiot into an old man who's a st still a, a stumbling, dribbling idiot. But never mind, he still uses us. Verse 17, wait and hope in the Lord. Your, your strength, your credibility is not in the opinion of other people. Your credibility and your hope and your strength is in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is to you as a church. It took me years to understand that as an individual, okay? As an insecure young man growing up who wouldn't even ask a girl out for a date. Let's face it, most of them were taller than me. I, you know, I, I, grew up, I grew up in the era of the platform shoe. How many of you remember the old platform shoe? And I thought, thank you, God. 
I'm going to suddenly look taller. These wonderful platforms, and I bought these great big flares and, and had long trousers. I've never bought a pair of trousers that I don't have to have taken up. All right. I've got the shortest legs going. And um, thankfully, my body's a little bit longer than my legs, so it makes me a little bit taller than what it should be. Anyway, I had these great big platform shoes, and I thought, wonderful, I'm going to look taller now, and I'm going I'm to be able to look girls in the eye. The problem was, the girls' platform shoes were higher than the boys. So I had to look up even more. I grew up with such a complex, it's unbelievable. You wouldn't think that now, would you? I don't care anymore. You, you, you went to short, you were going to say then, were you? You went to show how to respond to that. Well, I don't, see, I don't, I don't have a problem now with what other people think of me because I know what Jesus thinks of me. And because of that security that I have in him, I am not totally complete, but I am free to be the person that he has called me to be. And because I understand that, I'm able to express myself and do what I feel God wants me to do without fear of man. And what I want to say to you as a church is, do not fear what other people have to say about you. Do not fear what other people think about you, because at the end of the day, you are God's treasure and a special people. And as you wait upon God, and as you uh, intercede and, and, and spend time in his presence, I'm a great believer in seeking God's face. Okay, I believe pastors should be people who are into the word, not going around doing all the bits and pieces in the church. That's my, that's my philosophy, okay? Because if I'm spending time with God, and I'm hearing from God, I'm giving my people direction in the way that God wants to take us. That's my philosophy as pastoral ministry, okay? Now, that leaves us in a quandary. Who does all the other bits and pieces then? Well, you do. Amen. Oh, one person agrees with me. <laughs> you do. Your pastor and his wife don't do it all. Or your associate pastor doesn't do it all. You do it, because you're the church. You're not friends with me now, are you? <laughs> Suddenly, hello, he's a Jerseyite all of a sudden. <laughs> you read the scriptures, you read the scriptures, and you will find that you are called to work out the ministry on behalf of the pastoral team. And you may not like it, but that's what God says. That's not what Stephen Taylor's saying, that's God's word. Okay, you go and read Ephesians 4 about the giftings of God to the church. Did you know John and Andy are a, uh, Angie are a gift to you? Well, I was hoping a better response than that, actually. <laughs> I'll see if I can cheer them up a bit for you, John. All right. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> but it's an actual fact. I, I tell my people often I'm a gift to them. They're not so happy about it. It's not the best gift they've ever had. <laughs> but also, you're, you're a gift to them because you're their sheep. And they pour out their hearts in prayer over you, and they, they travail for you, and, and they work for you. And, you know, I felt the Lord say to me, you need to support your pastor, your pastor and his wife in prayer and intercession and support them. And I felt that God said to me, look, John and Angie have been through a tough time. Now, I don't know anything about their personal lives, okay? We're not that personal with each other that we know everything about each other. But I believe they've, had a, they've, had, they've gone through some stuff, as people do. You see, we're not of the world, but we're in the world. And every single one of us goes through stuff. 
If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you'll know that life isn't perfect. Jesus didn't promise us a life of roses. In fact, he promised us the opposite. He promised us a life of trial and testing and having to stand and, and, and be secure in him and come through the travail. And I felt God say, say to me, look, ask the church to intercede for their pastor and his wife and your associate pastor and your leadership team. Get behind them and support them in prayer because they are in the front line of the battle and they've got to be ready for when God comes because they're going to need to know what to do when God comes. And I'm, I'm saying this from experience. One day in my last church, after seeking God for so long, I put pastoral side of stuff, uh, stuff aside. And people might criticize me for that, but you know, at the end of the day, my responsibility was to know what God is saying, what God wants me to do. And I put all aside, and I just spent time seeking God, seeking God. And one day he turned up in church in a different way. It was absolutely mind-blowing. We finished our service at 2 o'clock. God had told me on the Monday to preach on him being uh, Jehovah Raphael, I'm the God who heals, and I just realized I haven't done my shirt up. Not, you're not, not filming this, are you? <laughs> Pastor exposes his hairy chest in church. Oh, you can't see it, it's okay. Especially with those lights. That's all right then. Um, and so, he told me, to, I shared this with John last night, I want you to preach on Jehovah Raphael. And so, I said, okay, how, how do I announce um, a healing meeting for Sunday from a Monday and get it advertised? You see, I was thinking, Stephen's thinking. I wasn't thinking, God's thinking. And so I began to discuss this with him. And see, he talks to me like I'm stupid. Because he knows I understand it when he talks to me that way, you see. He has a, a specific way of talking to me. Simply. I'm not the most intelligent guy in, in the world. Okay, so he talks to me so he knows I understand. And, and I had this conversation with him. I said, well, how am I, how am I going to advertise this? How am I going to tell people that you're going you're to come and heal people and, and we get the crowds in and, and get the evangelistic thing on the go and get people to come for healing? He says, I haven't asked you to advertise it. I want you to preach that I am Jehovah Raphael. Simple. Why complicate it? So that's telling off number one that particular morning, Monday morning. I remember it very, very clearly. And then I said, okay. So I went into my office after, after my, my time of walk. See, I used to walk around the, the building uh, praying, and, and um, I can't stand still, in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> my wife sometimes says, do you want to go out? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm a restless person. I, I can't stand still. And so... Uh, even when I'm on the phone, I, I, I pace back and forth talking on the phone. Isn't it stupid? But anyway, I do. And so, after my walking about, I went to sit in my office and I began. I got my pen out before the days I've typed your notes out on the computer or an iPad or anything like that. I still use a pen. And um, I started writing my notes and I started thinking of the headings because, you know, after being in Bible college, you're taught of what a good sermon is. And I don't preach them because you have to have a, a heading, an introduction, your three points. Each point split into three separate points. Then you have your illustrations. Well, that's nonsense, that. That's, that's too limited, isn't it? So I began to do my notes, and the Holy Spirit said to me, what are you doing? I said, I'm preparing my sermon. You told me to preach on Jehovah Raphael. I'm preparing my sermon. He said, I didn't ask you for a sermon. I asked you to share my word. Now, come on, I'm out of my comfort zone here. I've got to stand up on a Sunday with a couple of scriptures that God has given me and, and teach my church on God being the healer. 
No notes, apart from a few little headings, which I've done for this morning uh, on a post-it. And I thought, this, this, this is dangerous. And you know something? I began preaching on Jehovah Raphael, and all of a sudden, members of my congregation started falling on the floor and crying. I thought, it's not that bad. God came. God came. And friends, let me tell you something. It has nothing to do with Stephen Taylor. It has nothing to do that I'm a super spiritual, wonderful pastor. In fact, um, I'm quite the opposite sometimes. I get sent off in football matches. Um, I have been sent off since, by the way, but that's beside the point. Um, you know, I, I am, I'm a rebel, okay. I, I'm, I was ginger. Unlike your pastor, I was very, very hot under the collar. I grew up with an inferiority complex. I, I grew up being bullied. And when you're being bullied, you know, and these kids who go, these young people who go to schools will know this, you, one of two ways you react. You either go introspective and you go into yourself or you become aggressive. I took the wrong option. I hit people and asked them afterwards what was the matter. Okay, no matter how big they were, I hit them first and then, then found out what, what the problem was. So I had to deal with that. Obviously, you can't go to the pastoral ministry hitting people, can you? Although it would be a good weapon sometimes. It might work. But it's just not the way to go about things. You know what I mean? So I, I grew up with this character, a chip on my shoulder, and God had to do a work in me. So I knew what it was like to be healed from inside. I knew what it was like to have God's touch. And it was nothing to do with me because I'm, I'm just an un, unperfect, imperfect person who's just trying to do what God has called him to do, be who God has called him to be, and God came. Absolutely incredible. People with all kinds of issues in their life were being healed. And the church doubled in weeks. Not because of my preaching, not because of our evangelistic program, not because we were the greatest church uh, in, in the town, and we hadn't changed much. The one thing that changed, that the presence of God was so pungent in our place that people for miles away suddenly started coming to us. You see, when the glory of God comes, people come. And if you want this church to be filled to overflowing, you need the glory. Not the glory of man, not the glory of, of women, you need the glory of God. And my plea as a pastor to my people is, please, seek the face of God. I've taught, it, 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 it's, it's, it's a bugbear of mine, it's, it's, it's a passion of mine. I, I teach on seeking God. I've gone through how Hezekiah began to seek God and, and, and the changes he made because of seeking God. Do you know, Christian friend, this morning there's a need for continuous repentance, acknowledgement that we're sinful, acknowledgement that before God we're not perfect, and that we need to deal with issues in our lives. And as we come humbly before him, and, and that's another uh, princi principle of seeking God, we need to humble ourselves before him. Amen. And not exaggerate our own being. He's a holy God, friends. And before him, we are as nothing. But in him, we are everything. Yeah. You see, I made all the excuses I could when God called me into the ministry. People won't see me behind the pulpit. Well, no, but you can see me through it. You know, and in those days, of course, um, they didn't have these wonderful perspex things. We got one of these as well. It's just it's at a decent height. Um, and, and I made these stupid excuses. Now, I told you I'm a pastor's kid, okay? My father was five foot one and a half. I'm five foot three and a half. Important. 
The bit on the end's important, okay. Well, at least I was. I think I've shrunk a little bit now because I'm getting older. And I said, God, people won't be able to see me. What a ridiculous excuse. And instead of saying, don't worry about that, Stephen. You know, don't worry. You know, you'll be on platforms and people will be able to see me. No, he didn't say that. He said, don't worry, they'll hear you. <laughs> but what, an answer, what kind of answer is that? They can't see you, but they'll hear you. See, no excuse before God is worthy. Absolutely nothing. So can I say to you this morning, before you start making excuses about allowing God to transform you and change you, you don't make excuses to him. Because God's got something very precious for you. And I've forgotten to look at my watch, which I don't ever do anyway. Verse 18, I feel God wants me to tell you as a church, you are for signs and wonders. God wants to pour out his spirit upon you. But you've got to go through the principles of the previous verses. You've got to be a church that's willing to wait on God. You've got to be a church that's willing to seek his face. You've got to be a church that's willing to understand his heart and follow his heart and not your own preconceived ideas. And, you know, we, we need to be flexible, which is sometimes difficult. But God wants to do things amongst you and through you. And I believe, and this is Stephen talking now, okay, I believe he wants to touch this island through you. I sense that. You see, he has something, he has a purpose for you. Isn't that, isn't that exciting? It's, so it's not exciting then. You can talk to me if you like. I don't mind. You know, I, you don't have to ask me back. But at least talk to me once. Okay. Don't you think it's exciting that God has a purpose for you? The most wonderful thing I can ever do in my life is lead someone to Jesus. It is so exciting. And as a church in Jersey, God is starting to... We, we've just amalgamated the two churches in Jersey 18 months ago. We're now one church. And we've gone through a challenge, obviously, because you do when, when these things happen. But all of a sudden, God's starting to add to us again. And we're seeing young people come in. We're seeing uh, young mothers come in, and they're finding Jesus. Oh, boy, there's nothing more exciting as a church than seeing people find Jesus. Isn't that what it's about? You see, we don't come to church. We be the church. We do church. We live church. We are church. We don't just come for a holy knees up. Because you ain't getting one of them this morning, are you, with this preacher? It's not, it's not a case of being all la-di-da and, 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 and good and, and have everything right and correct. No, it's about knowing God's presence and God touching our lives. And touching the lives of other people through us. And God wants to do that. Now, before that happens, you see, you've got to go through the warfare. And this is where verses 21 and 22 come in. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry. And it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Then they will look to the, to the earth and see trouble and darkness and gloom. Of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. And as I began to think about that, my mind was immediately taken back to Job chapter 30, verses 3 to 8, where you have a scripture there that says, Haggard and Haggard, and oh, I can't remember the quotation now, but I, I know the scripture where they, they roam the dry lands looking for the arid places. That is, that is spiritual. That is not people. Go and read it. Go and understand it. I've seen reactions when I've read those scriptures out in certain situations, okay? We're talking about spiritual warfare. We're talking about demonic attack. Oh, am I allowed to say that here? Because we're in a war, brothers and sisters, okay? There are such things as demons as there are such things as angels. 
I believe in both. I don't worship either, but I believe in both. And you will be going through the warfare, but as you go through that warfare, the enemy will flee. That's, that's the whole point of those, those verses, okay? The enemy will flee before you. As you go into the schools, the enemy will flee. I'm going to be really blunt here right now, okay? And you older ones, please forgive me. But the, the generation in which we grew up is totally different to the generation we, we have today. When I was in school, not many people talked about sex. Am I allowed to say that in church? I can, can't I? It's in the Bible, isn't it? Okay. I'm a married man, so you're okay. So we weren't, you didn't talk about sex when I was in, in school much. No one talked about their sexuality. No one talked about having sexual relationships. Shall I tell you something? 13 and 14-year-old children today are mocked in school if they've not had a sexual experience. That's what our young people and children in this church are facing in the world outside. They need your press. They need your support. They need your commitment and your purity to be stowed into their lives so that they are not challenged and transformed by the world, but they're living according to the power of Jesus Christ's gospel. Because our kids today face all kinds of stuff that we never ever faced. And they're in a spiritual war. You've got the internet, you've got Facebook. I, 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 I started going on Facebook a number of years ago, and my son came to me and said, Dad, why are you asking girls for a hug? I said, I've asked nobody for a hug. Well, half of your mum. He said, Dad, on your Facebook, someone has put that you're asking girls for a hug. I cancelled it straight away. I've never been on Facebook ever since. I obviously didn't know what I was doing, or somebody was doing it for me. And I thought, that's it. Uh, I'm not into social media. I, I, I'm on LinkedIn, which is a, which is a professional one. Professional, my foot. It looks good. And people send me all these things, you know, um, uh, and, and, and people can say, you're, you're good at this, you're good at that, you're good at the other. I haven't got a clue what they're talking about, to be honest with you, but um, are you on LinkedIn? Oh, we'll have to... Um... Yeah, link. <laughs> I have no clue what I'm doing. But, friends, can I share my heart with you? Our young people, our teenagers, are going through some torrid times. And just because we live on islands doesn't mean to say we're excluded from that. Because we're not. And we need to get before God. And I'm, I'm going to actually ask you as a church, none of my business really, will you start seeking God as a church? Because if you do, God's going to blow you apart. He is. He's going to blow you apart. Because I believe he has something. Will you come with me to um, Ezekiel chapter 47? And I'm sorry if I'm preaching too long this morning. You're not used to it. And you're used to an eloquent preacher every week. And, and someone who has his notes and he does it all correctly. I doubt it, but never mind. <laughs> can pretend, can't we? Go to Ezekiel chapter 47. I won't read. I'm going to refer to it. God stopped me one day reading through this many years ago. And I believe God wanted me to refer to this as, as we looked at what we're looking at this morning. It talks about the river of God in Ezekiel chapter 47. But if you notice it, it talks about the river of God flowing out of the temple. Now, Pause. Come, come. Try and stay with me, okay? What God is saying, I believe, 
to you as a church, as you honor him, as you seek him, as you're willing for change and you're flexible in him, God is going to cause rivers to flow out of the church and touch the land. And if you go into Joel, you'll find that the, 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 the rivers flow and water the valleys of acacias. Okay. And uh, it's as if God is saying, look, you've gone through some stuff. You've had this negativity about you. Because I believe that's, that's a spiritual thing. You deal with that negativity. You wait upon me. I will then come and, and actually bless you. And because I come and bless you and I touch you and I revive you, because of that, out of you is going to flow. You see, when God blesses me and when God fills me up with his Holy Spirit and when God gives me what he wants to give me, it's not for me. It's for me to give away. And for me to flow into other people's lives. And God wants to touch people in the overflow. Do you understand that? You see, you need to overflow with his power and his presence and his power and, and, and his spirit. You need to overflow with all that God has. And when he fills you up to overflow and you can't help it but bubble out. That's why I talk a lot of nonsense sometimes. I'm so exuberant. I'm so enthusiastic that, you know, I spend time with God and I can't get out of my system. He has to do it. And then he has to jumble up everything that I say and he has to work it all out so people leave the place understanding. And so if you've understood anything I've said this morning, there's a miracle that's happened to you because I haven't got a clue. But God knows what he's doing. He knows what he's saying. And he is saying to you as a church, if you will do as I say, if you will honor me, if you will forget what all the negativity and things have said about you, I'm going to come, I'm going to bless you, and out of you it's going to flow power. And you're going to touch the island. And you're going to go beyond the island. See, once the island is touched, other people will be touched all over the world. God does great things through small things. Did you know that? And you're a bit smaller than Jersey. And I believe God is... No, no, that wasn't a derogatory statement. Are you going to let me finish? Let me finish. I believe God wants to touch the world through Jersey. I've been a pastor for ten and a half years, and I believe God has, a, has given us a promise. He wants to touch other lands through us. And I believe he wants to do it through Guernsey as well. I've had this belief in my spirit for years and years and years. We are small numerically, we are small physically, but God wants to take the small, and he wants to do enormous things across the world through us. I find that incredibly exciting, don't you? I'm a little man, but I tell you what, I've got a big gob. Oh, sorry, mouth. You might not understand what the word God means here. Because you're all correct and proper, aren't you? Yes. Someone's going to say afterwards, that pastor uses such dreadful words in his preaching. Please forgive me. I am from Jersey after all. You know, so there's got to be a bit of give. Have you noticed this river? As it, The further it flows, the deeper it gets. The deeper it gets, the more fruit there is. I haven't got time to go into it really because I've already spouted for far too long. But the fact of the matter is, the further the river went, the deeper it got, and the more vegetation there was, the more life there was, the more fish there were. And, and the presence of God started touching and doing wonderful things until the river grew so, so deep that he couldn't walk in it any longer. He had to swim. Oh, man alive. Can you believe that? That God wants to do that through you as a church? He wants to touch other people. And the power and the, and the presence of God wants to flow from here. But friends, here, here's the, you know, the, the little bit that, that, that puts all together. Before the river can flow out, it's got to flow in. And the only people it can flow in through is the people 
who have a heart for God and are ready for Him to blow them apart. You see, I've, I've learned, I was a very traditional pastor many, many years ago. I grew up in Elim, okay? I was born in Elim. Well, not literally, but my, my, you know, my, my father was already a pastor. And, and, and so I, I was brought up in the Elim movements. My, my, my grandfather was one of the elders of the City Temple Cardiff when P.S. Brewster was, was the pastor there. Any of you who know anything about uh, Elim will know that P.S. was held in high esteem and had these life elders which would have torment for the church for, the, for generations, okay? My grandfather was one of them. But out of that, out of, out of that, you see, in my traditions as a Pentecostal pastor, I thought, well, are people falling down? You know, that, come on, that's a bit over the top. Until one day, God got me by the ankles and threw me. So I thought, okay, I can't argue with that. And then I thought certain things went right. Um, you know, people burst out laughing in the middle of my sermons. Well, that's not, that's not God. They're just being insulting. They're being rude. No, it's God. I wasn't in Toronto. It was before Toronto happened. And I had all these things happening in the congregation. All of a sudden, I thought, well, behave yourselves, will you? Until one day, I burst out laughing. What's, what's, what's that about? God was teaching me, hey, when I do something, don't you mock it and don't you criticize it and, and don't you be so inflexible that I can do what I want in my church. I've had to learn a lot of lessons as a pastor, you know. And, and so I've grown to understand that when God wants to do something, if we allow him, he'll do it. But boy, the results are worthwhile. And they're worth going for. Where, where are you from? Don't say Northern Ireland, for goodness sake. My wife's from Northern Ireland. Where in Northern Ireland? What? It sounded like a Northern Irish accent. You're a... where, where from, sorry? Or oh, Tyrone. My wife's from County Down. And she married me. I'm a Welshman, married to an Irish girl. Can you imagine what that's like in the home? Someone said to me, uh, you know, when you and Hillary get married, your first year is going to be absolutely stormy. And I said, why? She said, well, look, she's, she's from Northern Ireland. You're from Wales. And you're rough as anything. And, you know, you can be quite abrasive at times. I thought, thank you very much. Your first year is going to be absolutely dreadful. We didn't argue in our first year. Wait till the second. <laughs> Seriously, my wife is so gentle and nice. It's unbelievable. How she, why she married me, I don't know. I think God realized I needed refining on the other side, and so he gave me someone who was so wonderful that people would forgive me because of her. And so I get away with it. Look, what people say about you, what people say to you, never has to happen. Negative words are curses. Positive words are blessings. And I made a commitment. When I, my children were born, I would never call them stupid. I would never call them idiots. I would never say anything negative over their lives. Because I believe words are powerful. Because I was told by a teacher in junior school I was stupid. You see, I couldn't see the blackboard because I had very poor eyesight. But because I couldn't see the blackboard, she thought I was just being rude until my mum took me to the opticians at the age of five and discovered I could hardly see. I wear contact lenses, because I'm vain. <laughs> no, because I played a lot of sport and I couldn't see the ball. <laughs> that's why I ended up getting sent off. He's, no, that's not true. I make an excuse. That's not true. Uh, I wear, I've been wearing contact lenses longer than I haven't. But, you see, I, I grew up thinking, that teacher was right, I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. I'm little, I'm ginger, I wear glasses, I'm ugly, I got freckles, I'm, I'm just the pits, I'm nobody. 
And then Jesus came flooding into my life and said, Stephen, you are my treasure. I want to bring healing. I want to release you. I want to touch your life. And now I know who I am in Jesus Christ. And it really doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about me because my wife loves me. My children love me. John loves me. He, 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 oh, you love me too. Oh, thanks. Isn't that wonderful? There are people all over the world who love me wherever I've been. Not because I'm great or special, but because Jesus has made me the person I am and they appreciate me. They don't always agree with me, but they appreciate me. And shall I tell you something? I love so many people who I had no time for. Before God put his call upon my life, as far as I was concerned, I was going to heaven and that was okay. Blow the rest of them. Because life has been dirty to me. Life has treated me bad. But you know something? Jesus put a passion for people in my heart. And I couldn't help but love people. You cannot be a pastor and not love people. Even you ones who challenge us. Not in this church, because there's nobody like that in this church. Okay, I'm talking about other churches. Okay, because there's nobody like that here. This church is so wonderful. You're all smiling. Well, most of you are smiling at me. Some of you don't understand the word I'm saying, so, but you're still smiling. God has a purpose for you. I haven't talked about the church because I purposely didn't want to know anything about this church from your pastor because anything I've said that may be relevant, even though I don't know you, has come from God. It's not come from gossip or it's not come from talking with someone. It's not come from uh, having a conversation. If I've touched anything of relevance this morning, the glory goes to Jesus and not because I've had a conversation with your pastor. And even though we're friends, I, said, I actually said to John, I don't want to know about your church. Not yet. He can tell me what he likes afterwards. Okay? I finished. But I want to tell you this morning, God has a purpose for you, Delancey. His hand is upon you. You are his workmanship. You are his creation. And you are his people. And he wants to take you into the realms of spiritual victory. Both inside and outside of your building. And he wants to touch people's lives through you. And I don't care how young or how old you are. It's the same word for every single one of you. And some of you have been faithfully coming for years, I dare say. And the message is for you and is irrelevant for you today as it is for the younger people. This is not about the people of tomorrow. This is about Delancey right now. God wants to take you forward. He wants to anoint you. He wants to bless you. He wants your praise and worship to ring forward. And he wants to set you up as a beacon. So, my conclusion is this. If anybody else is saying anything about you, you don't have to listen to that. You just say, God has given me this word. And as we stand on his promises, and I've proved this time and time again, as I stand on his promises, he works them out. Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elim Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.